You're listening to the AID Network. Hey friends, before we kick off today's episode 21 of Disneyland for Designers, featuring myself, Mark Bricky, and my co-host, Jared Maruyama, I want to give a quick shout out and congratulations to the citizens of Disney Springs. Congratulations on getting that part of your Disney experience back to you. And breaking news right at the release of this episode. It has been announced Disney World will open in phases in the month of July. Which has to mean that here in Southern California, we got to be inching our way to having Walt's original Magic Kingdom reopen for us. Which brings me to the topic. Disneyland for Designers has committed itself to releasing a new episode every single Wednesday as long as the gates of Disneyland remain closed. And if you're enjoying this content and you would like it to continue when the park opens back up, there's three easy ways you can help me make that possible. You can go over to Disneyland for Designers at anchor.fm slash Disneyland for Designers and become one of our sponsors like Kristen M. Meredith, who sponsored the podcast and in return is rewarded with the Queen of the Mermaid Lagoon Award. Thank you, Kristen Meredith, for all you do for Disneyland for Designers and all those mermaids. The other way you could sponsor the show is head over to wherever you're listening to it today and give us as many stars as possible and leave a review. If you don't know this, podcasts that get reviewed and get ratings get pushed farther up in the suggested podcast for other listeners to check out, which helps us grow the show. Big thank you to our friend Ken Wagonshoots who gave us five stars and said, Disneyland for Designers is the best way to experience the magic at 1313 Disneyland Drive when you can't be there. In a time of content upon content upon content, I always enjoy making time to listen to these episodes twice. If, like me, you are low on magic and you would like a detailed, loving, critical walkthrough of the happiest place on Earth, look to Disneyland for Designers. Thank you so much, Ken, for helping us grow Disneyland for Designers. And by doing that, it's absolutely free and it helps us keep the show going. And last but not least, tell a friend. If you know someone that loves Disneyland, just like me and Jared and you, just tell them this is the podcast to listen to. If you could help me out with doing one of those three things or all three of those things, you could help me possibly keep Disneyland for Designers coming to you each and every Wednesday, even when Disneyland returns. And think about how much we'll have to talk about then. Ooh. What do you say we get started with today's episode 21? Peter Pan, the Prince of Fantasyland. It starts right after this message from our sponsors, Jack Prince. Hey, Disney fans, do you have a Disney fan brand? Do you like to show your, your fandom by making the limited edition merchandise for you and all of your friends? Or do you like to design a shirt for the family to wear to go out to the park? Did you know that you can do all this and save money and get free shipping by listening to this show? Head over to our sponsor, jackprince.com, where you can get site-wide discounts by going to jackprince.com slash C-O-T. That stands for Circle of Trust. And Jack Prince has been a supporter of Adventures in Design, the AID Network, and the Circle of Trust since the very beginning. And they pass that sponsorship over to you by giving you a discount site-wide. So whatever you're making for your fan brand, head over to jackprince.com slash C-O-T. Save some money, get some free shipping, and who knows, maybe you'll discover a product to let you share your fandom with all your friends and fans. This is the story of a beautiful place known as the happiest place on earth. And all of its history, its secrets, and its tricks that you may find if your mind believes in design. And you allow your heart 
to believe in magic. Step inside and become a citizen of Disneyland. Greetings, fellow citizens of Disneyland. Welcome back to Disneyland for Designers, episode 21. I'm joined today by my best friend in Disneyland, the one and only Jared Maruyama. And today we're taking the deepest of dives on everyone's favorite citizen of Fantasyland. Fantasyland is the heart of the park. It was Walt's favorite part of Disneyland. It was the first part of Disneyland that would show what the future would hold. Rides based on entertainment, based on IP, a.k.a. intellectual property. When you first went to Disneyland, there was lots of different vibes everywhere for you to check out in 1955. But Fantasyland would hold the key to the future. Make movies that people fall in love with, make attractions about those movies, and let people continue the adventure, continue the romance, continue the friendship and the love of the intellectual property that they consume. And Peter Pan opening day attraction in 1955 gave little boys and little girls moms and dads grandmas and grandpas the ability to get into a pirate ship and to float 17 feet up in the air above london neverland and the heart and soul of disneyland peter pan so what do you say we sit back we close our eyes we let this world go away and we stand at the edge of sleeping beauty's castle as we look out on Fantasyland. Today's episode 21, all about the Prince of Fantasyland, Peter Pan. Oh man, when's Jared gonna show up? I'm just sitting here in Fantasyland and waiting for my bud and looking at Sleeping Beauty and wondering what the future of Snow White's gonna be. And I'll, you know what? I know what I'll do while I'm waiting for him. Let me just text him real quick. I'm inside the Christmas shop. Whoop. Hey, how you doing? Were you, you customizing those ornaments? Oh, that's cool. That's cool. <laughs> oh, God, it smells like Christmas in here. I knew I'd find you in oh, here. There you are, bud. How you doing? Yeah, sorry. I ran into Cheesy Pop uh, on my way in here. We got talking. It's just oh, crazy. Once he starts, he never stops. So what do you want to do? You, 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 Where do you want to start? Because if you remember, a couple episodes ago, we did the yes. facades of Fantasyland. Yes. And then we went over to the brand new Disneyland for Designers Instagram account, and we let the people vote what's their favorite attraction, mm. and we got a couple of first-round winners. Alice in Wonderland, and nice. of course, Peter Pan went to the top, and I have to say, Alice really hung in there for a moment, and I found myself rooting for the underdog. But in the end, I don't even know why we did the survey because Peter Pan won and everybody knows that today's feature presentation is the most popular ride in Fantasyland. Mm, and if we step out this Christmas show door, yes. we are automatically in line already, I believe, right? The line is probably back here at this point. Already. A lot of times while I'm waiting in line for Peter Pan, I buy Christmas ornaments because it just snakes <laughs> right through the old Christmas shop. <laughs> well, good. I'm excited. I'm very excited to do this, actually. Um, it, it is. It's a little unfair, right? It's like whenever you put uh, like a Michael Jordan in something, it's not fair. You almost have to take them out of the competition sure. for it to be interesting. And I'm making a, a terrible sports metaphor here. I apologize. But 
that's what I mean. Like it's too dominant, and it's and it's boring when that's number one, isn't it? A little bit. I I know that you have that kind of. You're like me. If it's the most popular option, you're already kind of bored with it. Right. And I feel like where a lot of people, when they would be doing a podcast or a YouTube channel, start with the most popular things first. Mm-hmm. And to me, it's like Peter Pan's kind of daunting task to take on for the for the podcast because it, it's one of the number ones. And after yeah. you do the number ones, it's like, where do you go? So I've had so much fun with you and I, like kind of discovering some of the, the hidden gems that here we find ourselves looking at one of the most favorite sons of Disneyland. So Right, right. Here's where I think that we start. Okay. Because everybody complains about the IP, you know, and if, if we had Philander with us tonight, he would say, you know, he hears so many people complain about the building of the different IP or everything has to be attached to a movie. And I think if you're a Disneyland purist like you and I are, it's always been associated with an IP and Mm. Peter Pan the actual story goes back to 1903 Mm. and it's funny because we all think of this version of Peter Pan as the proper version of it but when Walt made all of his original movies he was just taking fairy tales that already existed cleaning them up he saw a play of Peter Pan when he was a child and it, it glamorized it to him. So this was one that he had to do. So Peter Pan, the film, comes out in 1953. The character itself would premiere 50 years earlier in 1903. And mm-hmm. where this movie falls in line, Jared, it's number 14 in the feature films. Before it, 1951's Alice in Wonderland. And after it, 1955's Lady and the Tramp. So mm-hmm. when we live in a moment where you used to get a Star Wars movie every year and four Marvel films each year and <laughs> right. two Pixar films and five movies from Walt Disney, uh, you used to have to get a Disney film on the odd years of the calendar. Right. right. And it seems interesting to me that something that is now this old still is like such a classic. And I I think that, you know, all of these movies have sort of culturally rough spots in them. (laughs) But for the most part, this is a movie that kind of gets a grade because the characters in this one are kind of all kids. It's parentless. There's not a a lot of adult perspective in this one. So it's it's a little less tainted than maybe some of the others. Uh, Yeah, that's for sure. It's a funny... Do you remember... Did you see this film as a child? Do you have any sort of... You do. Okay, so you have an association. This is one of the rare ones where you know the film. I know all of the original films. Yeah, the old stuff. Yeah, it's it's when it gets past the renaissance that Mm -hmm. I become an adult and I kind of check out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but these films, I mean... It was hard to be a kid in the 70s and 80s, and somebody wouldn't sit you in front of this version of Peter Pan. Yeah, yeah. So so this is back when they used to do the re-releases. Things weren't released on video, or, you know, we didn't have the internet and everything. So these films would go into rotation once they were released every seven years. Every every generation was their goal to release this film, which was made it pretty exciting. Like, it... it definitely kept i think it's a it's a big part of why these films lasted because you you didn't see these on tv all the time or anything even even when i was a kid you would have to wait for these films to be re-released in theaters to experience them so it kept them like 
a special occasion uh, when they came out and, you know, uh, you can take younger kids to see it that you saw when you were a kid. And, right. And so I think, one, these films have this sort of built-in nostalgia that we don't have anymore because things get, like, uh, we go through things so fast, right? Right. It's like out in the theaters, then it's out on Blu-ray, and then it's done, and we're, we're through with it, and we don't care. Uh, maybe in another 10 years we'll look back like Star Wars or something like that, but it's the rare thing now, so... Um, yeah, so I think that's what really helps these films, these IPs, specifically Disney IPs, along with things like the ride. It's like this overall package of making sure these things stay sort of relevant within the Disney verse. And it's interesting when you look at Peter Pan in 1953 when the movie comes out, right? Like mm-hmm. two years before the park comes alive. It's the gallery 1988 of 1953, right? Like <laughs> yeah. it's. It's a property that people understand. And right. what every creator has to understand, whether you're branding something on something that's in the public domain, like a, a fairy tale, or nobody can copyright the word Los Angeles. Right. It belongs to all of us. United States of America belongs to all mm-hmm. of us. So fans love familiarity. And Walt always knew that he would have to create projects around things that had a built-in audience. Mm-hmm. Before search engine optimization was a thing, the man was already living it. And I think that when you hear this rumble of like, well, everything now has to be related to a movie. Well, Pirates were an IP too. It just didn't have the packaging around it or a haunted mansion. That was an IP. Ghost, skeletons. So... I think that what we look at now is an embarrassment of riches where the properties that win the most get rewarded with in-park experiences. But don't kid yourself. If they Mm -hmm. already had this back in the beginning, they would have been doing it. It's just now the company's legacy is so big that they can retell their own stories and they don't have to lean on history or geography or a fairy tale that came years before any of them. Right, I think you're absolutely right because that's exactly what's happening when they're building Disneyland. So you go to something like, um, you know, they're basing these other lands on motifs, very popular, like Cowboy Town, right? But that's built on what we know from cowboy movies. That's not like they're just making it up out of the blue. They're taking very popular iconography and doing Adventureland or uh, Frontierland and things like that. And they even brought out like Davy Crockett and all that stuff for for uh, Frontierland. Um, so, yeah, I think... Um, it is inevitable. If, if they had the library that they have now, they most definitely, they most definitely would, um, because they could have done a more generic fairy tale town sure, if sure. they chose to. But why would they if they have this built-in IP and sort of defining, redefining this uh, the genre by Disney movies? Imagine standing in the hub in 1955. It was designed in a way where that castle, because. We were so gender specific then. Mm-hmm. That castle was designed to pull every little girl in there. Every little girl wants to be a princess, and every little boy wants to be a knight and fight a dragon. But then the other dials of, of the clock there, Tomorrowland, every little boy thought of playing in space, and cowboys and Indians to your left. And then, mm-hmm. you know, I always found Adventure to Land to kind of be more of the adult part of the park because the idea of travel and going to exotic places is a little bit more of an Mm -hmm. adult concept. So we're not even in the attraction yet, but I always like to sort of dispel this idea of 
the corporate empire crushing it. This narrative has always been there because when you're trying to sell tickets, which is ultimately the business that they're in in the live entertainment space, people need a familiarity. So if you trust Jared and I as artists and creators and content creators, I'll give you the best advice I can give you. Find something that you love and show other people how you love it. And that's already a successful business model that's been proven since the beginning of commerce. And that's right. exactly what Walt did with Peter Pan. So uh, not to go off the subject here, but then here you, look at we go. <laughs> you look at something like California Adventure, which originally did exactly that, not IP based. We're going to use California as a theme. We're going to use right. sort of these iconic things, you know, not a movie, but just like San Francisco, the iconography of San Francisco and, and Los Angeles and things like that. And everyone hates it. And I, I'm not saying that those were perfect and it was just because of that. Maybe there were some other problems, but I don't know that everyone is as eager as they are. They're nostalgic for the nostalgia. Yes. Um, and, and so they want to have that feeling again. But then I don't know if once they're given it, they really respond to it in the same way because it's not built in like that. So California Adventure 1.0 was yeah careful what you wish for. Right, right. And they did a lot of cost-saving things like, well, if the theme is an amusement park, then we can mm -hmm. just buy off-the-shelf amusement park attractions. Yeah. But yeah, the number one complaint when people went there was like, well, where's Mickey Mouse at? Well, you know, we're yeah. like, what? These aren't from movies. Why am I hanging out with Whoopi Goldberg? And why am I looking at tractors and mm -hmm. the idea that tractors were in a farm that became bugs land that is now going to become an ant-man microbrewery just the <laughs> lineage of that parcel of land is hilarious to me but you're absolutely right because people want it to be perfect and mm -hmm. nostalgia works when you get a smash hit like pirates of the caribbean or the haunted mansion and you know New Orleans Square is nostalgia through and yeah. through, but when it's just a sort of a generic California boardwalk, well, now nostalgia for the past isn't perfect anymore. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I think that you and I have that idea of being an artist, being a creator, and understanding why Galaxy's Edge needed to be what they put in that footprint, yes. why it is the way that it is why they picked that part of the timeline, even though it, it, it breaks our born in the 70s heart. But I think it takes a little bit of fan intelligence to understand all the moving tiles is what makes Disneyland what it is. And it's mm. also what makes it profitable so it can keep being what it wants to be. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's right. And I think as like, uh, again, not to be like snooty about this, but I think as creators, you tend to start thinking very hard about what is appealing about the thing right uh, as opposed to just responding to a feeling we're saying i want that feeling we're kind of on the other side of it where we're trying to say like well what gives people this feeling they don't know and they shouldn't know because yeah, that you could just kind of takes away is, the magic sure. right exactly so we're i feel like sometimes we're on the other side of it like you know behind the scenes trying to trying to create that uh that magic from behind the curtain uh, as opposed to sort of being in front of it and just responding to it. So it's like, you know, like Galaxy's Edge, I had no doubt that that thing, it will settle into what it's going to be. Sure. Regardless of how everyone reacts to it uh, off the cuff. Like, I wonder, I, I would be curious to look back and, and if you look at what is the response, what is the initial response to like the Peter Pan ride when Disneyland 
opens are people thinking like oh it's this is you know, it, yeah it's a cute kid ride or, or this is you know a waste of space or time like this is really the interesting Tomorrowland's really the interesting part of it right, uh, right. But, but this is uh, kitty stuff and you know we're not interested in that like I'd be curious to know what the general you know thought was back then yeah I mean that's sort of a, a context that we can only kind of guess or or assume right but mm-hmm. you, I think one of the magical things about Disneyland is that if you are a working professional creative like you and I are and you've yeah. been on both sides of the fence there are moments when you can get lost in the magic and you just love the magic for what it is mm-hmm. but then there's also that intellectual thread that if you pull it that's quite magical too because you can understand how everything's working i think peter pan being a part of the opening day of 1955 Mm -hmm. it it kind of blows my mind when you think of that context because of the fact that the ride system is above you when i learned that this was one of the opening day attractions like wow that was pretty progressive to have at least one ride in fantasyland where the track is above your head. And Mm -hmm. I don't know this part of the story. I was trying to figure it out. I wanted to know how innovative that is because, you know, years later, Matterhorn would become the first tubular steel roller coaster and a Mm -hmm. roller coaster inside of a mountain is an unbelievable achievement to have that sort of vision. And there's ideas where where Walt got that from, from uh, a European amusement park. But the idea of putting the track above you, Mm Mm-hmm. I think that that is immediately what set Peter Pan up to be the the perennial favorite because it not only has that nostalgia and that childlike uh, storytelling, but it has that little bit of thrill where mm-hmm. we're a part of gravity all the time. But put me in a bucket and let me go through the sky. That changes your perspective on everything. And even if you're the you know, the roughest and toughest adult that got dragged into taking your niece and nephew or your kids there for the day. It's kind of hard not to smile when you're in that little floating pirate ship looking down at all of these models below you. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think it's something that it's, it's, it's strange that it hasn't been emulated more. Like they didn't just beat it to death and like everything's a hanging track ride. I I think that what we're seeing similarly nowadays would be something like Soren, where Soren's a huge hit. Everybody loves Soren. No one has anything bad to say about Soren. And yet we're not seeing a thousand versions of Soren now, which you kind of thought like, I'm surprised we haven't, you know, like Soren through Star Wars land, right? Like why isn't that technology being used over there? Or it's such a big hit for them. Like it feels like something they could just recycle so I feel like it's the same kind of thing with Peter Pan that um, kids that are riding this, this is the first time and only time they're going to ride something like this. Yeah. And, and that in itself, no matter what technology is happening around them, that's always going to be exciting for that kid. Um, and uh, I think that's why it, it lasts for so long. And I think one of the magical things about Disney's imagineering and, and sort mm-hmm. of the way everything evolves. And, and I took a stab at this during the quarantine times over on my YouTube channel where I'm trying to predict what this potential Avengers Phase 2 e-ticket attraction could be like, right? And so I think that if you want to make educational, like, Disneyland guesses, imaginary guesses, you have to look at their history. So it's like they're smart enough to know that soaring is rad. But the next soaring has to be like Flight of Passage, where it's Mm -hmm. one part soaring, but one part something else 
equals a new experience. And I've been toying with my video series. How can we take a ride vehicle that dumps us into something like soaring, but we never have to touch the ground, right? Because yeah. when yeah. Rise of the Resistance, changing vehicles is part of yeah. the story. Right. And there's a way that it builds the tension, and that's how Star Wars works. You you go someplace, you get seized, you have to find a way to escape. But Marvel movies are a quicker beat, a quicker pace, and if you have to land your Quinjet and walk over and get on something else, you've broken the thrill that is a Marvel story. Mm. Take my word right. for it. So, yeah. I, I think that that's kind of why they're so great is this hanging ride attraction. Like, well, we did that with Peter Pan. If we do it again, it's got to be hanging plus this equals new. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Plus ride capacity, right? We can't. Uh, Peter Pan is too old-fashioned in that way. We, you know, oh, if we could, we slowest. Ten people in a boat in the future version, right? You can't, you can't do this with two or three people in a boat. Like, that's ridiculous. That's the problem. So there's always those challenges, too, as the park gets more popular. To, to, to your point of Rise of the Resistance, it's interesting that I'm like, with what's happening with the pandemic, I could see whole amusement parks being set up like Rise of the Resistance. Your whole day is mapped out for you on this one adventure through a whole story that they you paid for your thing, 100%. and we're going to escort you through this so that we can control where you go, what you see, when, and there's not a line. You're just always moving and, you know, like they're going to take you through this whole experience as opposed to you picking and choosing. I would love to know the plans for the Star Wars themed hotel pre-COVID-19 and post. I would love to know yeah. how much this yeah. changes the idea of having people in an airtight facility for a two-day virtual cruise. So, yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. Like, once again, when you and I were looking at predicting what the future of the park looks like in the last uh, episode we did together, um, mm -hmm. Safest Place on Earth, we're looking at the technology they've already created with the FastPass system and with Rise of the Resistance and the virtual queue and thinking, well, you know, there's already some technology here. How do they slide around and, and make it? So getting back over to today's topic, Peter Pan 1955 opening day classic. Mm -hmm. It was another Fantasyland attraction where you rode it and you looked around and you never saw Peter Pan. I know mm -hmm. on our second episode, we talked about sort of the idea, the forward thinking of the Imagineers of, of yesteryear of like, well, you are Snow White. Why do we need to put right. Snow White in there? And I still think that that is such a clever approach to these dark rides. And I think the fact that Snow White got added in and then in 1983, when the attraction would do its first big once-over, they would finally add a Peter Pan in there. So, I mean, you know, for almost 30 years, it was Peter Panless. Um, <laughs> I think that that shows us, once again, like you said, Galaxy's Edge will settle into what it's supposed to be. Mm -hmm. And there's things that don't make sense to people. Who knows? In 30 years, maybe it does get an original score. So you walk around and it has music instead of sound effects. Or maybe it will evolve into something else. But, you know, I think in this time of instant gratification, people just ride Peter Pan and there's a Peter Pan on there. There was yeah. three decades where people were like, 
Did you see him? Because I never did. Oh, and these, uh, I him. <laughs> and these same Disney nerds that got so upset about Galaxy's Edge will be so thrilled to people say, well, you know, when I first came here, they didn't have music playing all the time. <laughs> <laughs> it was a different time then. Well, thank you for your service. Uh, what a hero. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I wonder now, though, like with something like Peter Pan, if it is how much of it is nostalgia, how much of it is, um, you know, the simple charm of this thing. But if it were to open today, would everyone just be like, what? Two and a half minutes of magic? That's all (laughs) I get? Exactly. I mean, I think that Luigi's Dance and Roadsters is like a a fantastic ride. It's beautiful. Mm. And I love pumpkin, pumpkin, pumpkin (laughs) Halloween. Everybody loves a pumpkin (laughs) Halloween. But people rack on that thing all the time and it's yeah, it's, yeah. it's it's outdoors it's it's dancing it's music it's it's cute so you know uh who knows i, I think there's a certain amount of technology these days that that gets the crowd going but peter pan like dangerous stairs it's grandfathered mm. in like it it has that weird moment in time where it will forever be the special thing in 1983 yeah. peter pan would get added to it they would adjust the layout a little bit for different sort of storytelling and animatronics of the the children would get added in as well so before then there was no peter pan and everybody was sort of a a neon painted mannequin ready mm. for that black light but 83 is basically when we got the version that everybody is super familiar with. So what do you say? This whole conversation is how long it took us to get to the ride. Jared, are you ready to ride? <laughs> that's not too bad of a wait if that's the case. Yes, I am ready to ride. I am I am uncomfortable getting on this boat, um, but uh, happy to do it with you here. So out of the gate... You have to think that one of the coolest things about all of these old attractions as an artist are the breathtaking murals that you mm-hmm. that you get to see. And, you know, I remember one day being there and going, Wait, these are these are hand painted. Like mm-hmm. somebody projected that on the wall, penciled in their line art, and then they painted this thing from the ground up. And whenever I get a chance to really observe these paintings and look at them and I remember back in the village halls when yes. you could actually get up close to those murals mm-hmm. it just blew me away I'm like man somebody actually hand painted these yeah um, and I, I like now everything feels even if it's not it feels digital right like, it does <laughs> even if they were to hand paint it you'd be like oh they probably just did it like a you know an overlay on that or like it's a sticker basically going over the top of it so um, but yeah it's a it, it's a very uh storybook approach to this like the philosophy of doing this doesn't seem like they would do it anymore you know like like it's too literal to have a, like a storybook illustration on the wall here. We have to make this look like an environment, not a, a, a picture. Yeah, and and it's funny too that you point at it that way. That makes a lot of sense because essentially, it's kind of like, um, hey kids, here's a menu of everybody you're going to see inside the ride. <laughs> and could you imagine right. if when you were standing in line for Rise of the Resistance, there's just a mural and you're like, oh, this is everything we're going to do. All right, cool. <laughs> There's a picture of Kylo Ren, and he's choking somebody. Yeah, Okay, I can't wait to see when that all happens. To some degree, these murals remind me of when the traveling carnival comes to town, and they have Mm -hmm. those trailers where they airbrush on, like, wizard shop. And you're going to go to the wizard shop, and it's haunted. But as we get on this attraction and we're waiting for our turn, I need to ask you this. 
Best ride cart in Fantasyland. I'm going to eliminate Snow White's mine carts and, and uh, Pinocchio because those are pretty boring. But you have Toad's car, mm-hmm. Peter Pan's boat, or Alice's caterpillar. Which one do you think mm. is the best? I, because it's in front of me, I, I think I'm thinking it's Peter Pan's flying ship. What about Dumbo? Not a dark ride. Not I guess. a dark ride. But that okay. that cart is kind of the essence of Disneyland, right? Like that, yeah. that's an icon all into its own. I, I really like Alice's. Uh, uh, it doesn't make sense that we're riding a caterpillar. It does from just a thematic thing, but right. it, it's not like, oh, this was how it was in the story. Whereas Peter Pan, it does make a little more sense that you're in a, you're in a ship. Toads is pretty perfect though. Like you couldn't get more perfect for Toad. There's no alternative, uh, right? That you could think of for Toad that yeah. would make sense. So it's pretty ideal for Toad as well. But I think, uh, this overall attraction because of the way it's a flying ship uh, this is pretty uh, magical the flying ship was adjusted um, in 2015 they made the bench mm-hmm. wider to get uh, you know a little bit more room on there because you know evolution yep I love that the cast member is standing in like a little chimney area yeah. and the storytelling on this one happens so quickly that as soon mm-hmm. as we get loaded on, I'll go in first. Um, okay, hands up. Okay, oh, yeah. We're not pulling okay. on the rail. We're not pulling on the rail. We're good. Um, I love that right away, and I don't know how many people kind of miss this. And I always, if I have somebody that's new, I'm like, look down right now. Like, everything becomes rooftops and mm-hmm. chimneys and, and little, like, exhaust systems. And I always look love looking at the ship in front of me because there's all of that great, like, ornate, you know, craftsmanship that's carved in the back of the, the boat, but the skull and crossbones that's staring at you. That is mm-hmm. such a great little added feature. Yep, because you are on a pirate ship. Absolutely. It's like it's Peter Pan's ship. You know, how many people just kind of miss right out of the gate that the flight begins immediately? And when you go through the faux windows and you go over the rod iron gate, it's like you immediately go from rooftops right into the window of the nursery. Come on, everybody. Here we go. Off to Neverland. You're conscious to look up. They've got the roof tiles there. They built the entire window system that you're going in. Now, if I'm going to be a cynic, if we close these windows, I don't think they're big enough to close this gap. But ah, absolutely. Imagination. Exactly. But again, this is like some Main Street... Uh, kind of a sizing and everything that's happening here the sizing is really off yeah. all across the board from the size of the characters to the boat that we're in to how we're we're navigating over the rooftop it, but it's brilliant it, it gives this very strong storybook feel where it should everything should feel smaller uh, than it actually is and that's what I love about it the seeing the lights up there that's interesting I don't think I've ever really paid attention to that before I'm so distracted looking up at the ceiling right now at the lights. Yeah, I'm so distracted by everything else in this room, trying to see all these details here of the dog, of Nana, well, and you know, the bed. What I love about this nursery room, and, and because they know we're recording the podcast today, they're letting us go through at a much slower speed. Yes. This room that we're in right now, the nursery, 
mm-hmm. it feels like you're stepping into a department store window. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. 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 That scale. My favorite scene of A Christmas Story is when they take the kids to go see Santa and they face pressed against the glass and you can see all of the different toys in there. So when you're in this room, it's like part sculpture, part toy. Mm-hmm. The blocks scattered on the ground say Peter Pan in one spot. Over another but look spot. how big those blocks are too. Like pretty <laughs> obvious. Pretty obvious. Not so <laughs> out not of so scale. Hidden. Yeah, and then the other blocks um, say Disney written in a clever way using numbers and letters to to make it happen. But in 2016, one of the things that would get added is they would take the kids and put them up in the air mm-hmm. and have them floating along with us. And the digital lighting effects of seeing the shadow of Peter Pan getting ready to take off and then that trail of pixie dust. Mm -hmm. These lighting effects that they add to these old school dark rides, it's just such a plus, right? Like you can keep everything the same and tell a little bit more story in the same footprint. And it's just so magical, that upgrade. Right, right. I agree, I agree. Because you're dressing up something you know so well. Uh, and that's the fun of it, right? Is to see this thing like um, uh, updated uh, in this in this way that sort of enhances it. Like it's a great effect too, right? Like it's just perfect for that little bit that you see because it goes by very quickly when you're on the ride. Creating the perspective of this ride is so key for the illusion. So mm-hmm. we went over the rooftops, through the window, did that hook in the nursery, and this ride turns so much because it's in such a small footprint. Right. That turning makes you move your head back and forth like I'm doing right now. And so you're always trying to capture something. And the best thing about this attraction, because it's two and a half minutes of magic, mm. you can't get it all in. So you yep. you feel like you got a lot, but you also feel like you missed a lot. And mm-hmm. I think that's a good part of a story is it leaves you wanting more. So right when you come out of the window, the, the scale of the buildings goes from like three quarter to half to micro just Mm -hmm. to create that idea of once again we're grading back down you come through the silhouettes of clouds and this map of london that we go over a couple fun facts about it jared it's a real map of london that they they use to get the the placement right and what makes all of the little vehicles feel like they're moving on the roads the roads are chain links that are ah. painted in the black light. So as they go by, you actually are seeing cars move Moving. on the path. Oh, I didn't know that. That's sweet. The, Look at that. The Big Ben is an example of the forced perspective that we're going to see. Tapers mm-hmm. at the bottom, bigger at the top. That makes everything feel taller. And when you look under the clock face on one side, you see all the kids fly by because the clock face is actually like a little digital display. Mm-hmm. And then up at the top of that tower is one of the best hidden Mickeys in all of the park because it's a full figure hidden Mickey, not just the head. It's a silhouette of Mickey in the top of the clock. Hmm. I did not know that actually. In 2016, they would add so much more animation to everything. Right. They would add so much more animation to everything as they would put all the lighting in and make make the river feel more motion. And I kind of think from a model maker's perspective, what I love about this Mm -hmm. is you do a double pass of these rooms, those S-curves too. Yep. And imagine if it was a straight line. This would go from two and a half minutes of magic to 90 seconds of magic. (laughs) For sure. So when we come up on 
to the um, the star here. Do you, what's the yeah. name, what is this, the, the name of this magic star? Do you know the name of that? The magic star, second star to the right? Second star to the right. Oh, thank you so much. Okay. Look at this. So this is... This is the bright right here to me. Going right? through the like, stars and we'd come into Neverland, right? I could just circle this part of the ride forever and I'd be I'd be happy. This part of the ride where we're going around Neverland and we have the stars all around us so we can see the waterfall and the rainbow and, and, mm-hmm. and the volcano. What makes this ride I think special is because we're up above. There's already mm-hmm. the thrill of leaving the ground. That adds in one layer of, of activity. But the second one is, is all the other attractions, because we're on the ground and everything is just linear. It's left or it's right. It's cut out, sort of like a, a child's play, right? Like it's all mm-hmm. just wood and this is recessed and there's a model here and there. But because we're above it, this attraction relies on model making. And right. I think the, the beauty of this room is that we're flying around this, this set piece. And once again, in 2016, when they would go on and add in the lighting, now the water has way more of, of like a motion to it, right? Mm-hmm. And when you fly around it and you're looking at, you know, all the stuff, the, the crocodile, TikTok. He's actually swimming around the pirate ship now. If yeah. you really pay attention, you can see him in there, and I think that's great. It's uh, you know I I love miniatures, and I don't know how many people just are attracted to miniatures in general, like as a as a general public. Thing. Oh, I love it. Yeah, but I could like stare at this thing forever. And what's great again is like you said with the previous room is you can't take it all in. Yeah. And so there's this you know it's frustrating almost that you can't see more of it, but that's what makes you kind of want to ride this thing. Um, over and over again because so many great little details and then of course when they sort of refurb this um, there's even more to see now and everything looks very like high def um, and and just great but I will say like there's a such a simple basic charm to this I think we see a lot of this in like storybook land canal boats there's the same mm-hmm. appeal here um, I, I, I miss the smallness of this with the new stuff with Disney and that everything has to be sort of a blockbuster now. Right. Um, like, if they had a ride like this of Star Wars, you know, where it's just like a miniature version of something. Oh, come on, man. You... I, I would love that. Come but on, it doesn't... man. That would be so amazing. <laughs> but it doesn't make sense now in, no. in the way that the storytelling is, right? Uh, and so we wouldn't do it and we wouldn't dumb it down to this level anymore because we feel like everyone's so sophisticated. But the simple charm of flying over what's basically like a model train set I, I will never tire of that no this this is something that always stops me in my path and like when Beth mm-hmm. and I go on vacation in the resort they have you know they normally have like the model that they pitch to investors and then they like display right. it in the lobby somewhere or maybe they're trying to add on and sell more condos or whatever like Beth always laughs because I cannot walk past a miniature without mm-hmm. stopping and just in my mind, I put myself in it and I walk through it. And yep. Disneyland itself is designed like a model train town. Yep. And the fact yep. that there's models inside the model train town, my heart explodes. So exactly. I, I really think that the the up in the air workaround of like, well, if we put people up in the air, then we can build set pieces that they can mm-hmm. sort of float over the top. So it's just really the creative problem solving that goes back and forth. But the 
LED or the, the digital mapping here to make the, the waterfalls run and, you know, the crocodile in the water and to create waves. Like, this type of upgrade, I'm all in favor of. Yes, yes. Because it's not changing the fundamental storytelling, which is which is what I like. You yeah. know, like you could easily, you could probably do this whole thing digitally, right? Or like have more video screens or, or some other technology that's, that's sort of dazzling in its place. But it's funny how I'm finding now that the technology goes away so fast. Like once you see it and you're like, that's pretty amazing. But then you're kind of done with it. Uh, and, but something like this, such a basic charm of this thing just i never get tired of it but i don't know how much of that is just me and you i know you like the miniatures too so uh, but i don't know like i think that's part of why this ride lasts as long as it does yeah and i think that's why for uh, a two and a half minute children's ride in Fantasyland. i think that's why this one gets stacked up next to the haunted mansion and, and mm. pirates because those three headliners you can kind of catch something new every time. And I swear, every time I ride Pirates, I'm like, that wasn't there before. And then I'll go home and research it. Yeah, it's been there for 40 years. I just, for yeah. whatever reason, <laughs> never turned my head all the way around and realized, oh, that hole goes through the next scene. Or, But, you know, whereas Pirates kind of has dark parts of the set. You know, there's mm-hmm. there's one part of it where the two palm trees that looks like, like a Mexican in and out um, right. This attraction uses every little bit of of what it has available and once again i think the fact that it goes so fast you absorb so much but leave so much behind i think that's why it will always have the long line that we kind of skipped a little bit tonight Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and i always know that when i'm leaving this room i'm looking over my shoulder as long as i can to get every last shot which then when we come into now a whole different scale because yep we've gone from floating above London we've gone over Neverland and now suddenly we're in it yep. and as we come up and starting to see the character spread all around us now the ride seems like it's accelerated at a faster pace because we're just ripping through like one vignette after another. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and the scale, uh, you know, it, it's it's abrupt. There's no transition here. We're just like we are back into something that resembles like what we saw at the beginning of the ride, uh, that kind of scale. But um, yeah, it shifts very dramatically here. One of the things that Disney is so good with is the keyhole, mm-hmm. and this ride has a lot of them. Going into the window, you're looking into the nursery, you thread that hole. When you come out of the nursery and they have that built up larger London before you go into the little one. As we're coming up to the Skull Rock and the way that these different rock formations are lit, like this keyhole right here makes an incredibly narrow hallway feel like infinity. And Mm -hmm. if you're five floating 17 feet up in the air because that's how high we are this has just got to be such a rush to just kind of go down this this down slope and if you remember as you can kind of feel it because we're going slow today because we're vips it kind of like pumps the brakes here a little bit right Mm -hmm. like it's not Mm -hmm. a smooth transition down right and if you're heavier in your boats sometimes you get a little a little bump jump down the (laughs) yeah you do down the way yeah yeah So, so we spin around, we go past Tiger Lily and Skull Rock, right? Mm-hmm. And as we come around, now we have another one of those keyholes where yeah. all of the, the, the palms and the trees are creating this forced perspective for straight ahead. We see this epic battle 
of Peter and Hook. Perfectly, and here's a bizarre fun fact for you. That's not the right hand that the hook's supposed to be on. Mm, right, 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 right. For this pose, they put the hook on the improper hand so they could have the sword. Uh, it's more of like a um, what's that sport where you wear the face mask? Fencing, fencing. like a fencing, like yeah, a fencing yeah. sword, not like a manly sword, it's like a fencing sword. Right, 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 right. And you know, Peter Pan has his little dagger, but they flipped the hook on the, the wrong hand. We're like, eh, it's kids, right? Who cares? <laughs> this is a better silhouette if we do. We don't want him reaching across his front. Yeah. Otherwise. Yeah. yeah. I would love to That's know so how deep into the process they were before somebody realized, like, um, guys, I just looked at, yeah. the, just looked <laughs> at the movie and... Uh, so was this altered then when they added Peter into the ride? Like, I don't know the history of the changes really well, but when they added Peter, did that change or did that flip or was, was Hook added at, at that point too? So, was, or? so this this scene yeah. comes in the 83 redo. Okay. So there was no Peter Pan, so this scene got added in and everything was sort of like shifted around. And, you know, because of the time period... And I wasn't able to go to Disneyland back then. Mm. I haven't found a vintage ride-through where I can see what the different floor plan was. But I know that this is part of the 83. And because they were nice enough to pause the the ship for us right now. Yes. Look at all the characters stacked around in this room. You have Mm -hmm. Wendy Darlin in the foreground. You have Peter Pan and Hook over on the, the edge of the ship there. You have the other kids tied up. You have one of his henchmen. But then, going all the way to infinity, you have the the moon setting on the water. Mm -hmm. So over to the right, we have the natives, and they're, you know, doing their, their, sitting around their fire there. And, you know, I talk a lot about the three layers of, of storytelling with Disney. This attraction uses that gimmick all the time, where if you are coming through here and you see Wendy, and then immediately mm-hmm. you look over at the fight scene, and then if you catch a glimpse of that back vignette, it creates that infinity of you're just mm-hmm. a part of the story. And the cool thing about the park is you actually get to go from scene to scene, and the way that the boat that we're on, it pivots around to, to give you like a little bit of face time with all these characters. Right. Uh, another fun fact is these light fixtures in here and, and some of the different items that you see, those are from the original Captain Hook ship that was outside of this attraction. Right, right. When there was an the actual skull rock. skull rock and all that, yeah. Chicken of the sea. Chicken of the sea. <laughs> right. There's a rumor that this is actually that part of that, that boat. But hmm. that doesn't work for scale and for a lot of reasons. But a lot of these fixtures and accoutrements are actually from the restaurant put inside of the attraction. 
Interesting. What's interesting here too is the the scale of the natives uh, in that scene. There, they I guess it's a forced perspective, but a sort of wonky approach to it, right? Because they're so small. Yeah. Really, compared to what we've just seen and, and where we're going, I, I guess they're supposed to be further back in the distance. Like that's why we get the moon back there and everything. Um, but it is an interesting. Again, it feels like a miniature more so than we're passing. We're passing by them. It's also interesting too that as we go past the front of the ship. The sleight of hand is look out the left of the boat mm-hmm. to see the natives spin over again, and there's a second half of the ship. Right. Peter's now steering it and hooks over in the water battling the, 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 the crocodile. And it's, right. it's just interesting how they do that sort of look over here so we right. can set up the, the next scene. But, I mean... We're lucky enough that we pulled a couple of strings and they're letting us go through at a slow pace. This is fast storytelling. Oh, yeah. Now we're almost done here. And I do love that And the when they're steering the ship, mm-hmm. the skull carved in the back of the, the ship. Yep. Like, to me, it's funny how many skulls are at Disneyland. <laughs> yeah, pirates alone. Yeah, yeah. And then this upgrade of the lighting, and you have Tinkerbell mm-hmm. flying around. Like, it, there's just so much rad stuff. And then knowing that these lights were once outside of the park, part of that restaurant. And then we come around, hooking the crocodile, and then just the kiss goodbye is the, the mermaids. Mm-hmm. Which is my one of my favorite things. Next to the Neverland sort of uh, diorama thing, that mermaid thing is just fantastic. And another one where I really keep trying to... To see it as much as I can and take it in because it's it's gorgeous. It's just like a cute little kiss goodbye. It's like so serene and like peaceful. And they added the the digital water falls yep. going down. And you know, if it was real water, it would kind of ruin it because there would be that smell of water and the sound right. of it. And the fact that this is all just props uh, is quite amazing. You know, nobody builds fake rocks better than Disney. And mm-hmm. as you kind of leave and go around and you end up in, you know, the forest and you're back out of it, just this tree over here to the right. Like, yeah, this is an amazing model piece that most people are like, do you have fun? They're like, they're not even looking over at that. Yeah. Yeah. Is that hiding something or is that just, is that just scenery? Like, I, is bet that a- it, I bet it's a, it's got it. Well, the exit's on the other side of that. Right. So it's just a wall there. Probably just, yeah, blocking probably a, wall. just a corner wall. But it looks like there's a little stair. Is that where cast members go? Like down? Is that a staircase that's just past it? I think so. Yes, there's there's a stoop there. Yep. I bet that's... So it looks like hiding the door to the... To the maintenance. I bet that's where, you know, uh, a maintenance guy would come up and go to the right, go down those stairs, and then could be on the backside of the attraction. So this whole ride, you know, especially the mermaid thing at the end, there reminds me uh, a lot of like um, uh, the very old Viewmaster reels that oh, they used to do. Bro. Don't get me started with Viewmasters. Yeah, <laughs> that was the first time I ever saw Disneyland. Yeah, exactly. And they weren't um, like illustrations all the time. There were these like cute little miniature setups, like they would do with the Flintstones and anything like that, where it almost had its own style to it to present these images instead of just lifting stills from the cartoons they create these gorgeous little you know tableaus for for viewmaster specifically um and i think maybe that's where the nostalgia for this comes from for me more so than just the ride because i didn't ride this as like an infant 
that I remember. No. Um, so I think it has that feeling, and that's why I always like miniatures. Everything looks like that, where you're looking very closely at things and sort of how they do the details, how they handle the stylization to make things look like grass or, or, or things like that. Um, but yeah, just get obsessed with that kind of stuff, and I love seeing it dimensionally when you go to Disneyland. It's one of the few places I think now where you where you get to see it um, like done so elaborately anymore. I'm often trying to think about why I have this love of miniatures and I've traced it back to this. Hmm. Miniatures feel like toys. Yeah. And when you're a child, going to the toy store is a rush like going to Disneyland. Like you may only get one toy, you may get no toys, but when you get to see all of the toys and their packaging, that's the promise of their adventure, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And when you think about toy ads, like, you know, you and I are from the generation where we got to watch commercials of kids play with Star Wars toys or G.I. Joe's on TV yeah. and, or Strawberry Shortcake, and that sold it to us, right? right. Like, that was the promise. Like, Look how much fun these kids are having. And I think also another part of this is when you think about the old Christmas specials that are the stop animation. That's model making, right? Like Rudolph mm -hmm. and um, all of those older, um, the heat Rank miser. Yeah, all that yep. stuff. Yep. That is that sort of like constructed out of paper. But I want to be a dentist. And <laughs> I think all of that, there's so much yeah. nostalgia in that, that if I go anywhere and I see a train set up, I'm like, give me a minute. I got to watch this yeah. train. You know, I got to check it all out. And I think for me... I'm not as much a train guy as I'm a guy that wishes I had a train so I could build the city that the train drives around, right? That's exactly right. Like the train adds uh, animation. The train adds movement and yes. sort of gives life to it because everything's so static otherwise. Like we don't like these things because they're moving around. We just like that. It's a, oh, look how small that door is. And oh, look at in the shop window, you can actually see small cans of food. And like it just keeps kind of yes. going down smaller and smaller and you get more obsessed with like the amount of detail and stuff. I don't know why that's so appealing and so satisfying it's like when you saw in a star wars figure the picture on the box yes like they didn't recreate it in a drawing they did a photograph and they made these little props around Put it which you sand. would never yeah you would never be able to do this no. but you're looking so closely at it and, and like oh that's what they used for snow you know it looks like salt crystals or something yep. and you know like just obsessed with how they set this thing up and again that sort of fueled a lot of my play was just setting these things up not so much you know working out a, a an action film but just putting them right using things that you had to make it look like the scale was right and uh, i don't know it, it's a special kind of thing i think um, but i think it's what a lot of people like about toys yes and um, i think yeah. to what you're saying about Star Wars. This has somehow become a very Star Wars Peter Pan episode. What a mashup. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Do you remember when they'd kind of sold us all the action figures? And to put yeah. more money into the brand, they started selling those like really, really small play sets. Yeah. Where you could yeah, get yeah. a little chunk of Hoth and you could get the, the, the spy robot and you know and those little like play sets were so amazing because for once you not only had characters and vehicles but an environment to sort of sit them in because there was only ever like one kid in the neighborhood that got the G.I. Joe aircraft carrier, one kid in the neighborhood right. that actually got the, the Death Star playset that they sold, right? Like yeah. most yeah. kids got like a vehicle and a handful of action figures. So they started making those little miniature like cast iron play sets. Like those were so awesome and I loved them so much. 
Right, because once that scale was down, you could do a lot more, right? You could you could you could create things a little bit more to how you saw it in the film, and that's why. Like, it's funny to be such a young kid and be so, like, snooty about, like, the Death Star. I liked it because it was Star Wars, but I'm like, this looks nothing like, this doesn't make any sense but as that a Death foam, Star. The, the yeah. trash compactor <laughs> foam was sick. Right. The, even worse was the Star Destroyer. Like, that was a terrible, like, it was just this triangle shape. It made no sense. We had it. And, and the best part about it was it had Vader's, like, chamber. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, and so, like, I would like that part of it. Yeah. Um, because that looked right. That looked like what we thought it looked like. Everything else, it doesn't. And it was wide open and, and just, it didn't make any sense. So, um, yeah, I don't know if it's just, like, a, an innate thing. Like, do, do all kids like this? I know kids go through, like, a dinosaur phase. They go through, like, a train phase, it seems. I, I'm wondering if kids still like miniatures or, or toys in that, in that way, or if it, it all goes digital now. Like, if you just yeah. want to be in these virtual environments. Like, um, that, not the same for me. That is such a good point because all these frames of reference that we're using are, are pretty irrelevant today. Right, and, right. And so much of these things that I grew up loving are reinforced in the construction and the design of Disneyland. And yeah. I think when we look at, you know, sort of the ultimate verdict of why is Peter Pan one of the most popular rides, I think it's that combination of a little bit of thrill, a lot of mm -hmm. nostalgia, and that sort of model-making aspect of it. I mean, we, we see so many props everywhere else, but this ride is kind of like going into a toy set and, yeah. and because it bounces around so much it, it just feels like such an epic journey and then that pacing you know like if you can write a hit song that's two minutes you're gold because people will play it over and over again you know and when you listen to classic rock i'm kind of amazed like people would listen to the radio and they would listen to a three and a half minute guitar intro yeah. before they wait for somebody to sing like <laughs> were people just bored in the 70s what's going on here but peter pan is it's it's all um killer and no filler it's it's right through it i think it's the only one too if you look at it i think it's the only ride uh, probably in the park even in, across in california adventure where they play with scale in this way. I, I don't think any other ride, like Snow White, is pretty literal. Um, there's not a lot of shifting in the, you know, in the scale. Yeah. That you're, you're kind of human sized through that whole thing. Um, yeah, you're uh, right. I'm the other dark to rides, like Toad, we stay in the yeah. same spot. Snow White, Pinocchio, Alice, we it's stay very in the literal. Same. Yeah, this one, right. it's just like it's this weird story of things are little things are real size things are really little because they're mm -hmm. just trying to put such a big journey and just such a small footprint and once again like i don't think that you can look past the fact that there's so many bends in this ride you know like yeah and and this is a little bit like there's the force perspective of the modeling but there's also a force view of turn people to the left they automatically look in a certain direction bring them back to the right they see a whole other side of the same set piece. So it's almost like you're building one thing and getting the observer to enjoy it from all these different angles because you're literally like taking them on a victory lap around it. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. I, I look at something like The Little Mermaid, which is probably their most contemporary version of the dark ride. And and while I, I do enjoy that ride, uh, it doesn't have the same feeling as the other ones. I think 
simply because of the scale, I think it works better when it's tighter and smaller. Like um, when you're going through Ursula's part, it, it feels a little bit more like you're you're more yes. in it. But the, the rest of the Ursula. ride is too. <laughs> the rest of the ride is so big and open that it does feel like you're 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 going through a show building. It doesn't feel like you're you're in an environment. Right. And I think if they brought even just brought a false ceiling down to sort of kind of surround you a little bit more, it might have a more charming storybook feel than it does because it feels like everything's right in that ride. There's they haven't done anything wrong and even the the way they abridge the story, it's it's kind of like wrong in the way that they've always done that yeah. with the, the other dark ride just like Snow White ends abruptly um, so everything feels very right and the animatronics are great and, and everything but for some reason the charm isn't quite that like the heart is missing from that ride even though all the physical elements are, are in the right spot wish I could be <laughs> feet <laughs> So I'm curious to see, like, with this new Beauty and the Beast ride, where it's very technological. That right? thing looks they, sick. Yeah. So I wonder if the heart's going to be there when they put the... Is it just the magic of these animatronics, which are fantastic, but then does the rest of the thing give you the feels in the way that Peter Pan does? Well, the Beauty and the Beast attraction is going to be state-of-the-art animatronics, where they went very... Let's bring a cartoon to life instead of a human, right? So they're mm-hmm. very cartoon, but their movements are very lifelike. Right. Then because right. it's a trackless ride system, we get to, and this sounds so lame for me to say as a grown man, but we get to dance around Belle and the Beast as they're dancing, you know? Right, And right. so I have an expectation for that one. It's funny you bring up Little Mermaid because remember when the lights were on and it wasn't, it was a bright dark ride, whatever yeah, that is. Yeah. And I think in the big under the sea, like the big celebration room, I do think there's a little bit too much ceiling there. And, mm-hmm. and that ride works best when you do the drop down into the water past that mm-hmm. first time we see Ariel. And then when you go over to Ursula's part and you're going into that like skull and she's huge and has rocks all around her, like right. that tight spot works, but a lot of it kind of does feel like you're going around New York City on Christmas looking at these yeah. perfectly set vignettes that you're just kind right. of going through. Um, I'm such a little, little mermaid fan that forever I'm like, when are they going to fix the eyes on those ills? They each got one that's burnt out. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, we'll go top and get right on that for you. <laughs> Wish I could be Oh, I love that song. It's so good. <laughs> Do you think we'll... we'll so I think, like, I was going to say this. Uh, Winnie the Pooh in Tokyo, a trackless ride, still a dark ride, a variation. You know, ours is a variation on that, and, and Florida's as Are well. Are you saying variation or variation? Variation. Didn't know. Like, Thank you. Okay. <laughs> um, that one comes closest, I think, to capturing something that sort of... Uh, if you watch a ride through of the Tokyo one, that one comes closest, I think, to sort of an updated version of what we see with Peter Pan. They don't do a lot with scale, because I think the scale is, is right for that one. But um, the charming stuff they do, it's like little tricks to make it charming instead of like going overly technological to sort of wow you from that perspective. It's very basic stuff that just makes that ride extremely cute, perfect for kids, but adults can like it too. And uh, I think that's something that I would look back fondly on as a kid. Um, But I don't know if they're doing that now with like Mermaid, if they have that same connection, regardless of if they like the movie or not. 
I, I find that our Winnie the Pooh uh, ride over in Critter Country is a real mm-hmm. sleeper hit. I mean, it's normally, because it's so far away from all the other children's, dedicated children's yeah. rides, it's, it's five or ten minute wait. Um, great ride. It's a great ride. It has a good mixture of practical and digital effects in it, like the way that mm-hmm. they do the waterfall and the rain, and there's the whole acid trip sequence that you go through, which is really, really yep. fun. So I, I, I always will take sort of, if I have adults there with me that aren't familiar with Disneyland, I'm like, look, I know Winnie the Pooh kind of sounds like a wild pick, but it'll be really fast. And everybody who leaves it like, that was great. You know, like, yeah. I think people have such a low expectation and that ride takes you so many different places in, in such a quick window. And normally the people I hang out with are some sort of creative and that ride shows such a level of creativity in the way that they did some of the more practical effects. Oh, definitely. So that's why watch a ride through the Tokyo if you get a chance, or uh, maybe maybe you'll wait till you go because oh. you really do have to go. But it that's seems a, it's a, like a long time before I'm going to get to go to the Asian parks <laughs> these days. It's a good one too because there's a, you don't wait in a long line, so that it's not like it's there's this buildup, right? Like it's like you get right on, and so the payoff is is uh, fantastic for that. If you had to pick uh, though, for if they said, okay, we're going to do another dark ride, what movie would you want them to do, regardless of? Oh, Frozen's a big hit, so we need a Frozen ride. Like, if is there one that you'd say, like, oh, this would be a good ride to do? I know we both like the idea of a, like, an interchanging one, like yeah. a wonderful World of Disney ride yeah. where you get all of the films. Or, uh, but if you had to pick one of the properties right now, contemporary or old, which which would you be? Herbie's go Herbie goes bananas. Of course, great. Uh, that's the given. That's the Peter Pan of the of that. I'm question. in a Volkswagen <laughs> Bug going upstairs and going through a swimming pool. I mean, nobody could. Stop Herbie, uh, man! I, I I don't I don't know. Like I'm not, yeah, movie enough guy. I mean, man, it, it seems kind of crazy that something like Lion King mm-hmm. doesn't have something. But I don't really know what the ride vehicle for that would be. So I mean, you kind of got me off guard here because, you know, I I think maybe the one that would make people the happiest would be a Mary Poppins attraction. Yeah. And I think that yeah. that would be a safe bet because it's something that has stood the test of time. It celebrates old Hollywood. And I feel mm-hmm. like that in California really sews together a lot of like Walt Disney, old Hollywood, sort of the merger of animation and realism. Um, and I would love to see what that building facade would look like. You know, like if, mm-hmm. if I'm walking into a giant pride rock to see the Lion King, that's cool, but where does that fit? You know, and I, yeah, I think that yeah. um, put in the proper space, a, a Mary Poppins attraction could be great. I know they were going to do something in Epcot and people got mm-hmm. pumped up, but then it kind of leaked out that it might just be like an indoor uh, merry-go-round and people were like, boo. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, but once again, what's that hook? Because what could be cool about something like, um, Mary Poppins is that you could do real life animatronics and props Mm -hmm. and also use digital boards just like that was real Mm -hmm. life people mixed in with animation. So you could sort of play off the two technologies and actually make it feel quite accurate to the original piece because it was a merger of two technologies. Yeah. 
Absolutely. I think that's what, and I think that's what a lot of people were thinking when they said they were going to maybe do a Mary Poppins thing at Epcot, that it would be some sort of, you know, cool mix of, of something, even if you just started off on a merry-go-round and those horses come off like they do in the film. Um, but I think you're right. Like something like Lion King, I think is a great, like that has lasted and they redid it with the, the live action, but they can still fall back on the animated one for a dark ride. I think something like that, but that would probably make sense in like Animal Kingdom uh, more so than, than in California. But um, yeah, I'm curious to see if we'll ever see something like I, I feel like something like Toy Story, like Midway Mania was like a miss to, to work in some animatronics and some make it more of like a dark ride yeah, setting. I, I, I do you know? feel like. You know, I hope they do this because, you know, everything always improves from the past. So I hope right. we get to go to Spider-Man's Web Slingers. Yeah. Which, that's done. Nobody's right. wrote it and it's just sitting there. Like, yeah. what a crime. But I would hope that Web Slingers would be improved from Midway Mania where it's like, okay, we're in the play zone, so we're playing, we're playing. But that's a very small building. So we're taking these tight turns. On the mm -hmm. tight turns, tell me more story with a little vignette of an animatronic Spider-Man or, or whatever villain or those little spider bots are crawling all around. Like, I feel like on Toy Story, if we went around a corner and there was an animatronic Woody being like, you get them, partner, the next one's all for you. And then you go through there and you come around again. And then it's like, you know, just the backside of Slinky. And when you come around the other side, it's the front side of them. Like, I just feel like those corners should have told a little bit more story. No, oh, I completely agree. I, I mean, I would, I would even sacrifice one of the game screens just to get a little show right. halfway through where he, you know, like you're stalling there before you go on to the final game, or, or just something to make it. I think that would drive home the shrunk down theme a lot more than anything else that they've done on that ride. I, everyone's distracted. You know, it's it's one of those things where it's probably the game is enough. People are so excited to be playing this video game in a moving cart. That's like, well, we don't need to do all that other stuff. But boy, that would make me want to write it a lot more if they were able to sort of program in, right. uh, you know, like like Potato Head. If Potato Head was maybe inside, Ugh. you know, like maybe that Don would be Rickles better than... Don a ride, that'd be amazing. But, yeah, because you, know, you go past it so fast on the outside. I'll cut them a little bit of slack, though. That ride was incredibly expensive to make because the technology of those mm -hmm. carts having a dedicated computer that is following where you're at everywhere in there, like... When we broke down the technology of that, when we were looking at yeah. Pixar Pier, you get a whole different level of uh, appreciation because we live in a digital world. We're used to seeing stuff like that. When you break down how that thing works, it's fantastic. Yep. Part of the reason why, though, I'm in love with the idea of sort of the the all-encompassing dark ride mm -hmm. is that a scene of The Lion King would be rad. A scene yep. of Aladdin would be rad. And, you know, if we can't get the whole... Beauty and the Beast, although I do think that there was maybe a play where it would go where, you know, sort of the Autopia footprint is if they expand the fantasy land, but mm -hmm. the budget might be a little tight right now. Um, yeah. I do feel like a lot of those Renaissance movies have the fandom, but I don't know, like, an entire Aladdin attraction, I don't know that that story scales the whole way through, mm -hmm. and I also don't know does culturally that hold true in 50 years? Because, you know, that's sort of a, a different sort of culture for Americans, and sometimes there can be a little bit of a rift between the two places. So I don't know how something like that ages. So that's why I'm kind of in love with there's, you know, like 100 down, 101 Dalmatians vignette would be rad. But I don't know that an entire attraction of that could, could do it 
And there'd be people like, actually, there's only 99 because the one is facing <laughs> a mirror and it replicates back for 100 and 101, sir. So it should be 99 Dalmatians. I think that's where you give it a shot of technology, uh, where, where you, you, you find something. So I, I think like um, you look at something like Tron. Uh, Tron is updating the roller coaster ride vehicle, and that's all that it's doing, right? It's because we are in that position. That it's Tron. Uh, that, yeah, and that, that it makes it different than anything else that we've written and everyone wants to ride it simply because we're now sitting forward and we're, we're, we're in that position that we never would be uh, in another ride but again it's a roller coaster and nobody cares about tron uh, you know regardless of, of what um i don't care I what you say it's say. yeah it's a bad bad property and i don't want it in disneyland like right that roller coaster right, looks right, amazing right. it looks it's a an amazing design they knocked themselves out with it the property tron does not feel accomplished enough to be in the original Magic Kingdom. You know what I mean? Like, right, it's a sacred right. space, and that's not a sacred property. So um, I think that's just like, what do we got? What do we got yeah. that space that halfway made a little bit of money? Because Disney's never really been able to do too much in the sci-fi category, and thank God they have Star Wars to give that to us as fans, because, you know, none of the properties they've made that have skewed that way have really been all that successful um mm -hmm. as we wrap up today a couple of things to look out for with with yep. peter pan um one it's one of the most popular rides in the park next yep. time that you go through there and you have to wait in line and you're not a vip like jared and i uh by the way philander thanks for these tickets that got us to the front <laughs> uh, no he doesn't do that so don't ask him so if you look around at the queue there are a lot of fun things attached to the queue and if you really mm -hmm. look at the faux woodwork there's cool little items embossed and stamped into it. So mm -hmm. look all around you and you'll find all kinds of little treasures just like stamped into the wood. And probably the best reason to use the Disney Play app is that you can activate Tinkerbell and the mm -hmm. little light in the queue. And you hold your phone up to it if you have the Disney app through Bluetooth, it knows that you're there. And all of a sudden, the, the frosted window dissipates and you can see her inside of there. If you don't want to wait in the line just to do that gimmick, Go over to the exit on the windowsill. There's a little lantern there. Go up to your phone. Boom. Tinkerbell will, will appear for you. Um, my number one advice on riding this ride, if you're bringing people in from out of town or if you are in from out of town, my pro mm. tip to you is this. If you got out of towners, that means you've done a 12, 16-hour rip in the park. The best way to say goodbye to Disneyland and the best way to say goodbye to the attractions at one minute till the park closes, go stand in line for Peter Pan. It'll be the shortest line. It'll be the less whiny, less crying line. The kids all look like they're on drugs by that moment in the night. They're done. Yep. Yep. It'll mostly be adults. And the best thing is, is that you won't feel that panic because if you get in the line one minute before close, no one will be behind you. So you won't right. feel like you're stuck in this sea of people. You'll be at the tail end of a set sea of people one minute before is the best way to do it now my favorite fun fact here yes the sword on the stone yeah the way that sword comes out of the stone next time you're standing there look over at the front facade of peter pan look on the second floor look in the windows and you'll see a little light green led light 
Okay. That light, if a cast member is over on the other side of the carousel there, King Arthur, mm-hmm. they can basically pull something out of their pocket that's like a garage door opener. And they can click a button at that green light. Yeah. That releases the sword from the stone and gives a kid a memory of a lifetime knowing that they were strong enough to pull it out of the anvil, even though their dad couldn't, even though everybody around them couldn't. That's how that magic trick works. And that, oddly, is my favorite fun fact about Peter Pan, something that has <laughs> nothing to do with the ride, but everything to do with the magic. How do they how do they work that though? Because you have to you have to is it part of that ceremony? Is it only part of that ceremony yeah. that someone pulls that thing out, right? Yeah. Like guaranteed? Well, I've never actually seen it done. Oh, you haven't? I've never have you seen the ceremony before? I, I've seen it once where they've they've done it actually. But <laughs> I wasn't sure if they really try to make it like, oh, you know, not this time, but or in, if in every time heart, they get chosen. In my heart, I want it to always be like a make-a-wish kit. Like, I want this to be yeah, the most right. special of special moments because if every brat can pull the sword out, then we've defeated the purpose. And, right. and I love that Disneyland does have those specialty things. Like, I'm one of the people that's been fortunate enough to pilot the Mark Twain for one lap around the rivers of America. Right. I'll never forget that. And growing up around steamboats, it's one of my precious memories. So, you know, I also remember a time when a cast member just gave me the back end of the monorail all to myself. She's like, you want the back yeah. end of the monorail? I'm like, yeah. And I just sit in there by myself. And it's like, I love that there's these like random VIP upgrade moments that just create yep. these memories forever. Um, actually, I lied. There's, one, there's one more thing that I love. Okay. Do you mind if we walk back past the Christmas shop? Okay. Don't worry. I'm not going to make you go in there because it's closed. We rode Peter's right. Peter Pan. It's now past the stroke of midnight. Ladies and gentlemen, Disneyland is now closed, but Main Street will remain open for one hour for your shopping convenience. Ah, that's so kind of them. Let's walk through this tunnel here, and I'm pulling my phone out not to to rip a a selfie because feeling cute might delete later. Uh, I'm going to turn on the light on my cell phone. We're going to take a... We're going through the tunnel here at the castle. Right. Take a quick walk up these three stairs. I know it looks like we shouldn't be here, but we're allowed to be here. We're going to lean over this rail. Can you grab those branches for me? Absolutely. Jared's grabbing the branches and turning the light on my iPhone. That carving in the Peter Pan tree. Yes. That is every single thing I love about this place. (laughs) Peter Pan and Wendy Darling's initials carved into a tree with a little arrow. Whoever did that. You're a genius. You're a genius. How, so how did you find out about this? Where, how did you personally figure this out? I've never known this until you showed this to me a while back. But um, I carved it in the tree. I did it. I'm there the, you I'm go. The That's what I thought. <laughs> Wouldn't that be the greatest folklore ever? I'm like, I don't want to put that in there. You know what? I don't even remember how I found out about this. I literally yeah. don't. Like, I, I think somebody showed me. I I can't Mm -hmm. remember. Like, my mind is totally a blank, which is weird because I'm a bit of a memory expert. I don't know who showed this to me, but it is the gift that keeps on giving. Because I've walked people up here before, like, are we allowed to stand here? And it's like, you know, on last week's episode with with Cheesy Pop, it's like, one of the weird things about Disneyland is everybody wants to be on their best behavior. And you're always like, are are we allowed to stand over there? Like, at Galaxy's Edge, I was constantly like, is it cool for me to walk down this ramp by the Millennium Falcon? <laughs> oh, this is the accessibility ramp. It is cool for me to go here. 
Yeah, uh, so it's one of those little things I think very few people know. Like, it's such a great little tiny thing. I, and maybe it's just, like, for for people like us who love the park so much Heroes. and love the little detail. Yeah, maybe somebody else you'd show and they'd be like, okay. My dad would be like, <laughs> so? Does it do something? Does it light up? <laughs> yeah, you know, would like, it talk to me? Right, right. But um, that, it'd be a great, like... Um, scavenger hunt item yeah. or something like that you know um, and it's just a great little detail for whatever that is how official or unofficial that that little detail is I love it even if it was just like a security guard late at night who's bored <laughs> whoever did exactly. this in, in, exactly what was the cost of this attraction you know right a, a pocket knife a, a stencil carving it in there you know maybe they did something that would preserve something like this like you know you do a quick burn so that it like sets the wood or whatever but like mm. these little bitty like freebies yeah they're the ones that last longer than the 50 million dollar ride updates you know what i mean like mm-hmm. like little notes like this to me that is truly what makes this place special and why i always enjoy taking a lap around it with you jared it's one of the most popular attractions, sort of intimidating, but I feel like we've knocked it off of our list. Yeah. Oh, for sure. For sure. Hopefully uh, everyone will write it with new eyes now. I don't know. I don't know about that, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, I never get tired of writing it. So I'm ready for the guy to be like, oh, now, if you'll notice, Captain <laughs> Hook's hook is on the wrong hand when he's fighting Peter Pan. <laughs> That's kind of, that kind of. Kind of one of those fun facts that gets into the Matterhorn basketball court. You know what I mean? It's it like totally does. Yeah, it's funny though too because I don't ride this ride very much anymore. It's very rare that I actually will wait in line for this ride anywhere. Even though as much as I love it, I just won't. I won't do it usually. Two reasons why I ride this ride: mm. I got a VIP upgrade. Yep. Or I got people in from out of town. That's the yes. only two reasons why I will ride this thing. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, because it's I've done it. I love it. It's great. I always get off of it with a shot of adrenaline. Um, mm-hmm. But there's a heavy price. There's a heavy price for going on this adventure with Peter yeah, Pan. For sure. And, for uh, sure. you know, it, it's not always worth all the hassle for two and a half minutes of magic. But mm-hmm. when you get to share it with somebody who's never seen it before or you get to take yes. a kid on it or... It's a random thing where somebody's like, hey, man, I got the accessibility pass because my back's jacked up. Would you like to go ride Peter Pan with me at 2.30 on a Thursday? The answer is, yes, I would. Let me buy you Bingo Barbecue to celebrate. (laughs) Yeah, well, there we go. We've done it, and so now we can take a couple months off. All right, everybody. We will see you when the rule is we're live until Epcot opens. Or no, what was our rule? Our rule was new episodes every Wednesday until Disney Spring opens. We did it. (laughs) Done. There you go, friends. Another trip. Another weekly trip. Out to Disneyland with Jared and myself. Coming up next Wednesday, we've got Philander back on the show. We're going to look at a uh, little bit of California adventure. We realized that there was more there when we could cover in one episode, and so we're just going to take our sweet time and take a lap around Cars Land and the old former Bugs Land, which will now be the Avengers Campus. It's waiting there for us. Disneyland's waiting for us. 
We'll all get back real soon, and I cannot wait to see you there. But before then, how about I see you here next Wednesday? And don't forget, there's three ways to support the podcast. Become a sponsor over at anchor.fm slash Disneyland for Designers. Give us as many stars as possible wherever you listen today. Leave a review, which helps so much. And last but not least, just tell a friend how much fun we're having and how even though the parks close, you're still finding a way to go there each and every week. And you're going there and meeting new friends. I'll see you again real soon. But until then, whatever you do, don't stop believing and live the magic every single day. We'll be back before you know it. I promise.